This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Galina Limarenko, doctoral candidate in neuroscience with a focus on biochemistry and molecular biology of neurodegenerative diseases at the PFL in Switzerland, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Anthony Ayani about his new book, Centered, Autism, Basketball, and One Athlete's Dreams. Diagnosed with pervasive de- developmental disorder, a form of autism, as a toddler, Anthony Ayani wasn't ex- expected to succeed in school or participate in sports, but he had other ideas. As a child, Ayani told anybody who would listen, including a head coach, Tom Itzo, that he would one day play for the Michigan State Spartans. Centered, Autism, Basketball and One Athlete's Dreams is the first-hand account of a young man's social, academic and athletic struggles and his determination to reach his goals. In this remarkable memoir, Ayani reflects on his experiences with both basketball and the autism spectrum. Centered, an inspirational sports story in the vein of Rudy, he reveals Ayani to be unflinching in his honesty, generous in his gratitude, and gracious in his compassion. Sports fans will root for the underdog. Parents, teachers, and coaches will gain insight into the experience of an autistic child, and everyone will triumph in the achievements of Centered. Well, Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, and great to be here. So as we have gone through the unprecedented times of the recent global pandemic, I was wondering if you could start by reflecting on how has it affected you and your work and maybe some main takeaways that you have gathered from this experience. So for me, um, so obviously it took me off the road um, as far as like my job. So I do a lot of motivational speaking and um, and uh, self-advocacy work for autism and uh so I remember it was March 11th, 2020. That was the last day I ever traveled or did an in-person presentation. And I just remember kind of sitting in my hotel room because I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, getting ready to go home. And I didn't really consider like how serious the situation really was as far as COVID-19 goes. And it really didn't hit me until, you know, I was watching ESPN and SportsCenter had come on and they had announced that the uh, the NBA was postponing its season. And that's when it really hit me. And and then I realized that I probably wasn't going to go back on the road anytime soon. And, um, you know, but, you know, I got to be home with my wife and kids, you know, for a while. And, you know, I got to see my kids grow, you know, from four years old to six years old, from one year old, from two years old to um, three years old. And so just watching them grow, you know, obviously was the positive, you know, about being at home during the pandemic. It was obviously very tough because you couldn't go anywhere, but, um, you know, I just having my family there with me, I think really got me through a lot of those tough days. Um, but you know, not being able to do in-person presentations, not being able to have those same interactions that I would have on a virtual presentation or that I would have in an in-person presentation, I would say it was really tough. Um, but I think the one thing that I've learned from the pandemic as a whole is just that, you know, just kind of sitting back and enjoying what you have right in front of you. And I remember telling my wife, um, 
you know, after we put our kids to bed, you know, when we were sitting at home during the pandemic, how frustrated I was because I was I was on pace to speak to over 165,000 people just in one year for my work. And I was so frustrated because I was on that pace. And, you know, my wife said to me, she said, you know, she said, for whatever reason, like, you know, the man upstairs has a plan. And for whatever reason, he wanted us all to kind of just sit back and, and enjoy what we have in front of us. And so, you know, I think that's the one thing that I learned it was just to sit back and enjoy what's in front of you and never take, you know, anything uh, for regret in life. So you mentioned that you do a motivational speaking. So can you tell us a bit more about yourself? What do you do? Yeah, so I travel all over the United States, whether it's to schools, um, conferences, events, or sports uh, sports teams, whether it's high school, college, or professional. And I talk about, um, you know, multiple things. So in schools, I speak to grades 3 through 12 on autism and bullying. And then for conferences, and um, I talk about transitioning in life with autism. And for sports teams, I talk about leadership. And so when I talk about my story, I was um, diagnosed with autism at age four. I was diagnosed with PDD NOS. And when I was five years old, a group of doctors and professionals told my family that because I have autism, I would I wouldn't be anything or be much in life. I would barely graduate from high school, never go to college, never be an athlete, and likely end up in a group institution with other autistic kids like myself for the rest of my life. Um, I wasn't told that story until my freshman year in high school. So that kind of became my motivation to go out and prove those people and any other doubters and naysayers that had my life wrong. Had to work extremely hard at everything, whether it was basketball, school, or my social life. And I had a lot of support from family, friends, coaches, teammates, and my teachers. So I ended up graduating from Okemos High School in 2007, where I then went on to Grand Valley State University in Grand Rapids, Michigan for two years on a Fulbright scholarship for basketball. Didn't quite work out for me there, so I decided to leave Grand Valley State to fulfill my lifelong dream, which was the dream of playing for Coach Tom Izzo at Michigan State University and be a uh, Michigan State Spartan. So I was a walk-on for two years. Uh, my senior year, I was awarded a Fulbright scholarship. I was a part of two Big Ten championship teams, a team that won the Big Ten tournament title, a team that went to a Final Four, Play with a great group of guys at Michigan State that I'm proud to call my brothers. Um, but I'm proud of two things, you know, during my time at Michigan State. Uh, the first one was I got my bachelor's degree in sociology from Michigan State. And then the second thing was uh, during my time at Michigan State, I became the NCAA's first Division One college basketball player with an autism diagnosis in history. So those are two moments during my time at Michigan State I'm very proud of. And, you know, that's why I talked to a lot of uh a lot of educators, professionals, and students about is my life growing up on the autism spectrum and how I got to where I'm at today. Uh, so your book is centered autism, basketball, and one athlete's dreams. So can you tell us what is it about and how did you come to writing it? So uh, centered autism, basketball, one athlete's dream is about uh, my life story growing up on the autism spectrum. Um, it kind of leads up to my diagnosis and then it talks about the struggles and the obstacles and challenges I've been dealing with my whole life uh, being on the autism spectrum to leading up to my basketball days, whether it was high school and then my playing days at Michigan State and just how I got to live my dream of being not only a college basketball player, but for um, but for playing for Coach Izzo and at Michigan State University because he was a guy that um, I told when I was eight years old that I would play for him. So it was definitely, you know, one of those, you know, long dreams in, in the making. And so, so the book is about, you know, my life story, uh, leading up to the diagnosis to where I'm at today and how I got to Michigan state. So there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, especially if you're a big college basketball fan about what goes on in, um, in, in college basketball behind the scenes, as far as preparation for games and practices and whatnot. And I wanted to write it because, you know, obviously number one, you know, I had a lot of people in my ear about it for many, many years telling me that I needed to write a book. I needed to put my entire life story in a novel. And, you know, and and the main reason was, was because a lot of educators and administrators told me that they wanted their students to learn more about me than just the 40, 45 minutes they have with me. And so, so that's what kind of got the idea rolling for me was I wanted to educate people more about what autism is and what a person with autism may go through on a daily basis. Um, and I really wanted to give people hope and inspiration that they're looking for. And, you know, I know a lot of people that may read the book may look at this and go, oh, well, it's just a sports story. Well, no, it's more than that. Oh, it's just a story about Michigan State University. Well, it's more than that because, you know, I look at all these great inspirational, whether it's inspirational books or sports movies. And, 
you know, I, I always kind of like to compare my life story to Rudy about the football player from Notre Dame. And I've always told people like the movie Rudy or Rudy's story wasn't just about Notre Dame. It was more than that. And the movie Miracle about the USA hockey team in 1980, like it was more than just about the USA hockey team. There's always a message behind those stories. And so um, so definitely a lot of people kind of getting in my ear about it. But obviously I wanted to educate people what, what autism is and continue to give people the hope and inspiration that they need or that they're looking for. So let's uh, cover some basics then. What is autism? So autism is a brain disorder that people are born with um, and, and can affect a lot of people differently. So for me, um, I'm, I'm high functioning. So there's two parts of the spectrum. There's low functioning and there's high functioning. High functioning is more, you know, Asperger's and pervasive developmental disorder or PDD NOS, which is what I have. So, you know, if somebody's around me and they see me like they may look at me because I'm functioning like a, you know, a quote unquote, a typical normal person. But, you know, I have a lot of struggles being on the autism spectrum. So for me, I'm very black and white. So what that means is somebody could say something to me and I'll take it the complete opposite. Um, growing up as a young kid, I had a tough time understanding nouns, verbs, idioms, sarcasm, jokes. Um, I struggled with loud noises as a young kid. I did not like fire drills when I was in school. I hated the lights, hated the sounds. Um, I barely went to Michigan State football and basketball games just because the the overload of the arena, the environment, whether it's from the crowd noises, the buzzer on the scoreboard, or just the lights of the arena, like it was just too much of an overload for me. And I would have all these different wig out moments and just you know, just moments where a lot of people would just look at me and go, why is this kid acting like this? And so that's me on the spectrum. But I, there may be other individuals on the spectrum who may have different characteristics that I may not have. And so, you know, the one thing I've always told people about the autism spectrum is that it's a very, very massive spectrum. Like there's a lot of people on that spectrum and they're all different, but they all have their own unique traits and talents. And so, You know, so that's kind of what autism is. You know, it's a brain disorder that people are born with. There's obviously no cure for it, but there are treatments such as ABA treatments and resources that can help those individuals, you know, learn better or process things better. Um, you know, a good example are my twin nieces. Uh, they were both diagnosed at a year and a half. They were both nonverbal and they went to ABA therapy and still do to this day. And one of my, one of my nieces talks, talks up a storm nonstop and she loves interacting with people. And You know, her twin sister, you know, she still has her moments where she kind of goes in the corner and does her own little thing, but she's communicating a little bit. So she actually um, said the word, she said, mom, you know, to my sister for the first time ever, you know, like a month ago. And when I first heard that, I was like, you know what, that's what ABA therapy is doing, you know, for these kids. And it's just incredible to see where my nieces are at. And so, but just resources and treatments like that are a huge step for individuals on the autism spectrum. And how did you get interested in playing basketball? Ah, so long story short, so I started I started playing competitive ball, uh, competitive basketball when I was seven. And, you know, my mom, my dad played baseball in college at Michigan State, and my mom was a three-sport All-American in college. And she still holds like nine school records for basketball, a couple league records. She's still the school's all-time leading scorer in both men and women's basketball. She has her jersey retired. So obviously just kind of seeing what my parents did as athletes, especially in college and in high school, you know, I really wanted to do what they did. But then the more and more I, I sat on my couch at home watching the Chicago Bulls play, watching Michael Jordan play in the mid nineties, like I really wanted to be like those guys. And I, and I can remember just, you know, putting on my Michael Jordan Jersey and taking my Michael Jordan basketball that said Jordan on it and going in my driveway every day, pretending to be like Mike. I mean, That's kind of how it all started for me. And then the more and more I watched basketball, whether it was college basketball or the NBA, the more I got really hooked on it. And, you know, and then I was around Michigan State athletics so much because my dad worked in the athletic administration offices for over 26 years. He retired two years ago. I was around all those great teams and all those great players. And, you know, the more and more I was around Michigan State, the more and more I wanted to play at Michigan State. And so, but it was really just kind of my love for watching the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan play as a young kid. And then when I got older, I started watching Allen Iverson, who ended up becoming one of my favorite players of all time. Because, you know, when he played for the 76ers, I love watching him play because he was one of the toughest guys on the court. Like, he can go out and play on a sprained ankle or, or with a broken wrist and still have 40 points and like 10 rebounds and 10 steals. 
Um, you know, Shaquille O'Neal was another favorite one of mine because he was just so dominant every game. And I really wanted, you know, my game to kind of be like, kind of reflect what he did, just be dominant every game. And I wanted my toughness to reflect off of what Allen Iverson did. And so just watching all those great professional basketball players growing up, it's what really, really wanted me to get in, get into basketball. So you see on process world in a slightly different way to everyone, isn't it? Oh, it's definitely different. It's definitely different. Um, cause I know growing up, you know, I definitely see, even to this day, like I see things a heck of a lot different than, you know, quote unquote, a normal per- person would. But I also had to learn that whenever I went through processes in my life, like I had to take kind of just take it one step at a time and just kind of like how I learned. Cause I'm not afraid to admit this. Like when I was in high school and, or just school in general, like I was a very, very slow learner and still am to this day. And so, you know, I may not be able to process things as quickly as like a straight A student would. Like if you gave me a math problem, if you gave me A squared plus B squared equals C squared, I'm probably not going to figure that problem out as quickly as most students would. So I got to like, I got to take things step by step and process by process. And it was like that with basketball. Like I had to continue to learn things as far as plays and drills goes, just one step at a time, one, one second at a time, one motion at a time. And so But that was also a big testament to my teachers and my family because they taught me not to rush things as far as like, you know, building your craft as a basketball player or being a better student. And so, you know, I really got to give, you know, a special thanks to not just my parents, but my teachers as well, because they were ones that always taught me, you know, hey, continue to trust the process and good things will happen. Can you give us a glimpse into some of those situations that you perhaps needed more help with or approached differently? Uh, definitely school. Um, I mean, that's definitely the one example I'm going to give you right off the bat. Um, mm. So for me in school, um, you know, I was in a resource classroom from middle school all the way till high school. And when I was in high school, obviously, as a high school student, you know, as a freshman or a sophomore, you get more and more homework, you get more and more tests. And so I remember it was either my sophomore or junior year, I walked into my resource room teacher, uh, Mrs. Schaefer's classroom. And I remember just saying to her, Like I'm so like I was so stressed out about homework, how much homework I had. And, you know, I just didn't know what to do because a lot of my hardest assignments were classes I struggled in, like math and science. And my easiest classes I liked were um, history or writing because, you know, I, I like writing things and I like like telling, you know, make up stories and whatnot and just, you know, reading books when I was a kid. And so I remember just telling her how stressed out I was. And she came over, pulled a chair next to me and said, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take things one step at a time, one one process at a time. So what's your easiest assignment? And I would say, well, it, it was history. It's geography. Okay, save that one last because that's what you're best at. What's your hardest assignment? I said, it, it's math. I have, a, I have all this geometry homework today. And she said, okay, we'll do your math homework first. What's the second hardest assignment? Uh, science, you know, anatomy or biology. And she said, okay. We'll do that next. And then I'm guessing your third hardest assignment or the second 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 easiest assignment is writing. I said, yeah, it is. So she's like, okay, let's do the hard the hardest assignment first and just make our way down. And if you don't get it done, get as much done as you can today in, in resource. And then if you have stuff left over, it'll be the easier assignments you can do at home. And so she just made things like that so simple for me because again, like I would just stress out and wig out out of just over homework. And then for my teacher to sit down next to me and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll start with this, the hardest assignment, and then you'll save all your easy assignments for last if you don't finish everything today. And so for her to kind of just like do that for me, it helped me process things better for the future. So if I have like hard things to do at home, or if I have like a lot of things to do at home, and I would just say to myself, okay, start with the thing that's going to be the toughest to do at home, whether it's doing laundry, if that's, you know, So the hardest thing for me at home would probably be doing the laundry because it's a lot of laundry. So I would just say, okay, do the laundry first. And if you have time, mow the lawn if you can, and then vacuum the house. So I would just kind of map things out. And that's kind of what Mrs. Schaefer did for me. She helped map things out for me in high school to help make things easier for me. And so her mapping out processes for me and her mapping out like, you know, tasks for me in high school, it really helped prepare me for not just you know, being a parent and a husband, but it also helped me prepare myself for the real world as well. And do you think that really set you up to come to tasks from the position of strength rather than impairment? 
I think it did um, because my teachers always taught me, especially my, my my parents as well. They taught me that you know it's okay to fail in life because everybody fails in life because nobody's perfect. But at the same time, as long as you know that you're out there, you're giving it your all, and you're doing the best that you can, you know that's all that matters. And so, but you know, for my teachers to kind of help me. And, and for my parents, too, to help me find ways to help me kind of stay calm and for me to kind of just focus on what's in front of me, it really helped prepare me, you know, later on in the future. And it gave me more strengths, if you will, because, you know, my dad always taught me the harder you work, the more you earn. And, you know, when you work hard, you make sure you block out all the noise that's around you. And that wasn't just he, that wasn't just him telling me that as a basketball player, but he was also telling me that as a person, because you're going to go through challenges and obstacles in life and you're going to have a lot of people around you that will say to you, you know, you can't make, you can't, you can't get to your dreams and goals in life because these obstacles and challenges are too tough for you or you're not tough enough. And so, you know, my dad always taught me to block out that noise. Cause if you block out that noise, like you can go as far as you want in life and you continue to do the things that you do that are in front of you, you know, nobody's going to stop you, stopping you from achieving what you want to do in your life. And when it comes to sports, what kind of uh, approaches did you take? Uh, so for me, it was always like, it was, it was, it was an approach every day where I had to focus on what was, again, what was in front of me or what's the task today, whether it was learning players or doing drills. And cause I know there were times where, you know, if I felt stressed out from school or just stressed out based on what people were saying or think about me or all the doubters and uh, the negative people I had in life, you know, the gym was kind of my place to get away from those things. And I would just go and shoot for two hours and just work on my dribbling and my passing and my shooting. And when it came to practices and games, you know, my focus was always on becoming a better player, especially in high school. Like I wanted to be the absolute best player that I could be. And then when it came, when I, when I got to Michigan state, you know, I had a certain role to play, which was that role was to make my teammates better and do whatever I can to make sure that I help our basketball program win at all costs. So if I didn't play any of those games, like it really didn't matter a whole lot to me because I just wanted to make my teammates better. And I wanted to make sure that I did everything I could to help us win those games. And so just keeping that focus and knowing your role um, is what really helped prepare me as far as, you know, mentality wise in basketball. But also at the same time, like if I was going up against other players who were either bigger than me, stronger than me, or maybe a little bit, you know, better at basketball than me in certain areas, like, I wasn't going to let that person get in my head because, you know, my dad, again, my dad taught me, you know, don't worry about what your opponent does. Like worry about what you do, worry about what move you're going to make next. And if they make a jump shot on you, then you go down and make a jump shot on them. And so, um, so it was always that focus just to remain calm and just focus on what's going on and not to get caught up too much emotionally in games. So like there would be high school games when I was a junior and a senior where we would have sellout crowds. And so, I really kind of had to keep focus on the game and not worry about, you know, how many people are in our student section or how many people are chanting my name. Like I just had to worry about making sure I did whatever I could to help our teams win. Yeah, for sure. Having such focus, it's definitely an asset. So what other traits do you think were helpful to you? Um, I think for me, obviously, you know, focus was one of them. I think communication was a big one. Um, you know, my coaches always, you know, encouraged me to ask questions, especially if there were times where I was confused, whether it was on plays or drills that we would do in practice and in games. And so, you know, because they always told me, you know, encouraged to ask questions, like don't be afraid to ask a question if you're confused. And if you are confused on something, and if we have to run plays multiple times for you in practice till you get it right, like that's what we'll do because we want to make sure you're on the same page as everybody else. So, and I think, you know, just communicating with my teammates too, you know, it really kind of helped me be more open as far as like talking to people and communicating with people and outside the locker room too. Like I would always go hang out with my teammates in the hallways of school, or we would go grab a bite to eat or something um, after games and just sit down at, at a restaurant and just talk about the game and talk about what's going on in school. So I would definitely say, you know, communication was a definitely another big one for me, especially in basketball. So you already touched up uh, on your environment a little bit. So if we can explore it a bit more. So I was wondering what kind of roles your mentors and your peers play along your journey. And also whether you ever reflected if they hadn't known that you had autism, uh, would would it change anything? Um, I don't know if it would change anything. Um, 
you know, because I had a lot of good friends of mine, especially in high school. Um, you know, my 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 closest friend I have in my life um, is a, is a guy named Jeff Hall, and I talk about how Jeff really, you know, kind of opened my eyes a little bit when it came to other people's opinions. Um, he was actually the one who taught me not to worry about what other people say or think about you, and just to worry about your thoughts and opinions in life. And when he when he taught me that, like I. I immediately knew right there and then that not only did I have a best friend in my life, but I actually had a brother in my life, a guy who cares about me and who's willing to go the extra yard for me. And, and I had other classmates and peers that were the same way too. Like they always had my back and continue and we, and we still continue to talk to this day, but you know, Jeff was a lot like me too, cause he, he didn't have autism, but he also had a learning disability. He had a, he had reading comprehension disability. And so, you know, when I told Jeff about me being on the autism spectrum, he was like, great, cool. Like, I don't care. Like, that doesn't change how I feel about you. Like I still love you. And so, but, um, there were times where, you know, I didn't even tell anybody cause I, I felt like there were, I didn't know how people would understand it because that was a time period where autism was still kind of new to a lot of people in the mid two thousands. Um, and so I didn't know how people were going to react to me. So Jeff was kind of like the only guy that I, I don't want to say trusted, but it was kind of like the guy I was more, I was close enough to where I can just open up and go, you know, yep, I have autism, but for him to go, you know, Hey, I don't care. It's not a big deal. Like I have a reading comprehension disability. Like it's okay. And for him to say that it really kind of, I was like, okay, yeah, I really truly do have a close friend in him. And so, um, but when I got to college, you know, my roommate at Grand Valley state university, Mike Prisdale, like, you know, we got to know each other a lot, um, because he committed to Grand Valley state and then I committed. And so we were set up as roommates. And so we, we had talked and, you know, he made trips to uh, to my house in Okemos during the school year to see me. I made trips um, out to his uh, place in West Bloomfield. So we were definitely communicating a lot. And so I remember we were in our dorm room one night and I opened up to him about being on the autism spectrum, telling him what it was and what some of the struggles I've had in my life. And, you know, he just looked at me and said, you know, it's amazing, like how far you've come despite everything that you've been dealing with in your life. But again, it doesn't change how I feel about you. Like if you have your struggles, like just let me know and I'll be there for you. Like if you don't understand something, just, you know, tap me on the shoulder or elbow me in the ribs and, you know, and I'll, and I'll tell you what's going on. And so, mm. but, but that right there really showed me that I had a lot of, I had a lot of friends and peers who were willing to understand. And so, you know, there were still, there were some of my peers in my life who didn't quite understand it, but you know, it really, really, you know, it, it really showed me a lot how much people cared and how much people were willing to get to know me more. And so if I didn't tell them, um, I don't think things would have changed, to be honest, because, you know, they would have still continued to treat me, you know, how they do today, which is with nothing but love and respect. This is very reassuring to hear, especially when it comes to combating the stigma around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, like I said, in the mid nineties, when I was diagnosed, nobody really knew what autism was. There were no resources or guidance or pathways for individuals, you know, who were affected by autism during that time period. And in the mid two thousands, again, nobody really knew what autism was, you know, they, it was still, it was still new. People were trying to learn about what it was. And even to this day, like you have people who are asking questions about it. They're still trying to learn about it. So we still have a lot more work to do on that end. But, you know, when I was at Michigan state, you know, my team and my teammates found out about me having autism, you know, they were very, they were open about it. They were very welcoming about it. And what I loved about my teammates, especially after graduating from college was they kept asking me questions about what autism is. How does it, how does it affect other people? Like, you know, what, how does it affect you? And so um, even some of our assistant coaches at Michigan state would ask me questions because you know, Dane Fife, who was our assistant coach at Michigan State at the time, he's now at Indiana University coaching because that's his alma mater. Um, you know, he would ask me questions. You know, I may recruit a kid one day with autism and who's a big time basketball player. Um, I need to prepare myself. So what may what were things that worked for you here when we coached you? What were things that didn't work? And so the fact that my teammates and coaches that I, that I was with at Michigan State, the fact they're continuing to ask me questions to this day about autism, how it affects me, how it still affects me, how it could affect others. Like it shows me number one, again, they care, but number two, they want to be more educated about what autism is. This is such an important point. So do you think that people are generally open-minded towards learning more about autism? 
I think so. Um, I think I think you know we're at a point now today where you know people are asking more questions. You know more about what the spectrum is. You know how many people have autism. You know what are the numbers for it? And you know, obviously those numbers change every year. But you know I think the fact that you're seeing more people diagnosed and more people are starting to be more are becoming more aware of it. And so you know and that's also part of my job as a self advocate and motivational speaker is to go out and show people that. You know, this is what autism is. This is what the spectrum is. But, you know, despite having a diagnosis, you know, these individuals can do incredible things no matter where they're at in the spectrum. And I I know there may be a parent out there, an educator out there that may listen to this and go, well, my my student or my son or daughter who's on the low end of the spectrum, they're not going to be like Anthony Ianni. And I've always told those parents and educators, like, I don't want your kids or students to be like me. Like, I want your kids or students to excel in areas that I may never excel in in my life. For example, people on the autism spectrum, a a lot of folks on the spectrum are brilliant at math. I am the worst person in the world when it Mm. comes to math. Like I'm awful at it. So that's why I said in the beginning, like every single person on the autism spectrum has their own unique traits and talents. And that's what makes them so great. And so, so, but I've also encouraged those educators and teachers to continue to push their kids high every day to try to let them fly. Because, you know, at the end of the day, they may not make it, but they're going to make a heck of a lot farther, a heck of a lot farther than other people think they can go in their life. So then how and why did you get interested in motivational speaking? So it was actually uh, Brian Kelly. So Brian Kelly um, was our is our former lieutenant governor here in Michigan, and he had heard about my story um, on MLive.com. So it was kind of like the first time, and this was my senior year at Michigan State, it was kind of the first time that my life story being on the autism spectrum had ever gone public. And I didn't know how people were going to react to it. I didn't know what was going to happen. And so so I actually got some really great feedback, you know, a lot of positive feedback. You know, a lot of people liked it. A lot of people loved the story. And Brian at the time was trying to get um, a legislation bill passed for people with autism to have insurance companies have their ABA or treatments covered through um, through insurance companies. And so Brian was able to get a pass in April of 2012. Uh, but before all that, you know, Brian read about my story and he had called my, my mom and dad and said, hey, would Anthony be interested in doing a keynote speech at this autism gala in Detroit in, um, in late April? And of course, like I didn't think about it because we were still in the, in, in the middle of the season at the time. And uh, once our season ended, I immediately called my mom and dad right after we lost in the tournament. And I said, yep. And I said, call, call Lieutenant Governor Callie's, call their offices, let them know I'm in, I'm all in. And so, but at that time, like I didn't even, I didn't even think about or consider doing motivational speaking or self-advocacy work because I always wanted to do what my father did, which was work in the athletic administration. Cause you know, my dad gave me, you know, the opportunities that I wanted to give my kids, which was to go on road trips with college teams, which was to go watch all these incredible athletes play. And so I wanted to give those same opportunities that my dad gave me that I wanted to give my kids one day. Um, so I went to the gala in Detroit. I did like a nine, 10 minute speech. I got a great reaction and great ovation to it. And I was driving my, my wife, then girlfriend at the time home. And as I'm driving, as, as I'm driving, we're at a, you know, we're on the highway. And I said to her, I said, you know what? I think I know what I'm supposed to do in my life. And my wife said to me, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, I said, you've worked in education. You've worked with young students with autism. I said, besides Dr. Temple Grandin, who's one of the most famous individuals in the world with autism, who's also a mentor of mine to this day. I said, other than Dr. Grandin, I said, can you name me somebody else in the autism community who's a big a big role model, a leader, and even an icon in the autism community that people look up to. And my wife sat in her seat in silence because she couldn't think of anybody. And I immediately looked back at her and I said, all right, I'm going to go be that person. I'm going to go be that hero, that inspiration, and that role model that people in the autism community can look up to every day. And that's how it all started for me. And so I've been doing this for about nine years now. And you know, I haven't looked back and I'm not going to, and I'm not going to, and I'm not going to continue to look back. I'm going to continue to move forward and can, can continue to do public speaking and self-advocacy work for a really, really long time. So you really mastered uh, public speaking, I should say. And how did you find it? Was it easy for you? Uh, so yeah, that's a really good question because, you know, a lot of people ask me, did I ever take classes? Did I ever have any 
um, prior experience with it. I had absolutely no experience doing it. I mean, I would go to like a few of my, I would go to my old high school and speak to a couple of classes, but that was about it. That's as, that was my experience right there before I even started a professional speaking career. And so I didn't know how I was going to do things. I didn't know how I was going to react to things. And so, um, but it wasn't until one of my colleagues, he presented, um, some facts to me about how individuals with autism, or I should say students with autism, they are the number one targets for bullies in schools across the United States. And when he said that to me, he asked me, can I present to schools on the bullying topic? I said, absolutely, because I was bullied as a kid because of my autism. So I remember my first ever presentation I did, it was at St. John's Middle School um, around nine years ago um, this week. And so I remember going to the school, I did three separate presentations, but um, I was working with a nonprofit organization at the time and my boss wanted me to have note cards on the stage with me. And I remember after doing, doing it with note cards, I was so uncomfortable because I felt like when I, when I was talking, I was just reading off a script. Like I felt like that nothing I was saying was coming from my heart. And so my colleague was there and I took those note cards and I said, Hey, you see these note cards? And I ripped them. I ripped. I ripped those cards up right in front of them, mm-hmm. and I threw them in the trash. I said, "If I'm going to do this, I need to do this my way. I can't do this. I can't do this off a of script. I can't do this via note cards. I can't do this PowerPoints. Like, let let me play around with this in the next assembly. Let me see what I do." And I talked from my heart, and my colleague looked at me and said, "That was really good." He said, "Let's see you do it again." And ever since that day, like I've. I don't have note cards. I don't have a PowerPoint. And anytime a school administrator asks me, you know, what, what equipment do you need? I always say, just give me a microphone and a bottle of water. And that's about it. And the, <laughs> the principal would say to me, wait, that's all you need? I'm like, yeah, pretty, I'm a pretty simple guy. Just give me a microphone. I'm good to go. And so, but what really, what really got me from that experience at St. John's Middle School was a day later, I got a phone call from a mom and she had told me that her son, who was an eighth grader at the time at the middle school, was, you know, he had one of the greatest days ever because not only did he meet somebody else like him, he's also on the autism spectrum, but she was telling me how her son's bully, who had been bullying and torturing him for over five years because he has autism, um, her son's bully walked up to him after the assembly and had apologized to her son. And I remember just sitting there going, wow, like, that happened at your first ever presentation, your first ever, you know, gig, if you will, like that happened, like, you know, enjoy it. Cause something like that's never going to happen again. Like I was just, I, I didn't know what to say. I, I had no idea what to say to that mom. I had no idea how to, you know, kind of, I, I didn't know what to think about after that because, you know, I guess whatever I said, not reading off those note cards, it hit home to a lot of those kids. And so, and I think that's why, like, you know, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back when I say this, but I feel like that's why a lot of kids, you know, enjoy my presentation because I'm real with them. And I asked, I actually asked a high school student that question, you know, what separates me from every other speaker that's come through their school? And he said to me that I was real with them. I talked to them like adults, like I wasn't, you know, BSing with them. And one student overheard the conversation goes, yeah, you know, you don't have those boring PowerPoint presentations either. I go, oh, geez. <laughs> I said, mm-hmm. I said, I appreciate that. But, you know, I try to be as real as possible with, with whether it's students or educators or professionals, because, you know, I just want them to know that, hey, like, I'm not going to walk in here. I'm not going to baby you or anything like that. Like, I'm going to be straight up with you. And so you know, that that's how it all started with me. And, you know, and for me to continue to do what I do. And for me to continue to try to inspire as many people as I can, even if it's just one person every day, like, you know, that's what I enjoy the most. But more importantly, you know, I talk about the pandemic and how the one thing I absolutely missed being on the road was those interactions with students and teachers. Like I, because I feed off their energy, I feed off a live crowd. And, you know, I kind of, and people may, may laugh, may laugh at me when I say this, but, you know, I watch a lot of, uh, I, I watch a lot of tape or watch a lot of YouTube clips um, on great professional speakers. But the one guy I watched the most, and again, this may be funny to some people, is Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, mm. and during, his, during his wrestling days. Because I, I watched The Rock, um, I watched him cut his promos in the ring, and just seeing how he was feeding off a live crowd, feeding off their energy. Like 
I, I completely understood why he loved the wrestling business so much is because of the fans. And so when I finally got to, you know, just watch clips of him and how he brings his energy, brings his enthusiasm every time, that's what I wanted to do. And so, you know, that's why Dwayne Johnson is one of my, is one of my role models and guys I look up to because just because how positive he is and how everything he does in his life, he brings it with energy and enthusiasm. And so, you know, it's obviously, that's obviously one of the guys I would love that. That's like my number one celebrity. I would love to meet one day is Dwayne Johnson, but you know, just watching him and what he did in the WWE, as far as cutting promos and everything, you know, I kind of learned a lot and brought that over to uh, public speaking. I'm really glad that you described it in detail, especially your process of picking up uh, skills that you would need. So do you think that's uh, another example of uh, how you are able to learn differently, basically, rather than oh, reading I've... perhaps manuals? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I, cause I, I learn better virtually. Um, um, and because a, a good example, so my, my anatomy teacher in high school because I, I really struggled taking tests in school, even with all the accommodations I had when it came to my test taking, like I really struggled. And so my anatomy teacher said, Hey, I want you to retake the test, but I'm not going to give it. Uh, I'm not going to give it to you on paper. I'm going to give it to you on the board and I'm going to give it to you uh, visually and orally. And I want to see how you do. And so, you know, we did the test on the, on the blackboard. She, you know, read the questions to me and, I ended up getting like an A minus on that test because she learned that I was a better visual learner than I was reading a manual or just reading a test. And so, um, so that's kind of how I learned today. Like if you give me a video to watch or if you, um, or if you, when it came to basketball, like if we walk through plays or run through plays, like I learn it better in person and visually than I would like on paper. And so, um, so it has definitely helped me, you know, throughout my years as a public speaker, even during my days as, um, as a basketball player, it really helped me learn a lot. And so, um, you know, yeah. So, cause once I started, you know, finding strengths of learning things better and how to process things better, like, you know, it really helped me in the long run. And what would you say to our younger listeners and uh, students who perhaps uh, face same difficulties that you have? My advice for them is don't ever let people tell you you can't do something in life. You know, be relentless and continue to go after your dreams and goals in life. Like you can't hope and pray every day that dreams and goals in life are going to come to you. Like you have to go get them because if you just sit back and wait for something to come to you, you know, that's not the way to do it. I like to call that the lazy approach in life. Like don't take the lazy approach. Get up every day. Go get your dreams and goals in life. And don't let anybody ever tell you you can't do something in life despite what you have. And so the one thing I always say is, you know, autism doesn't define who I am. You know, I define who I am. And I wasn't going to let an autism diagnosis get in my way of, a, of achieving and accomplishing my dreams in my life. I wasn't going to let any doubter or disrespecter or person in my life tell me I can't do something, get in the way of my dreams and my goals in life. So continue to be relentless, pursue your dreams and goals in life, no matter what obstacles and challenges you have in front of you, because you can overcome those obstacles and challenges to get where you want to go in life. Because at the end of the day, we don't dream our lives. At the end of the day, we live them. So now thinking of the bigger picture, what implications are there for raising awareness of autistics in our society? Oh, man. Um, I, I think we're kind of to the point where, you know, there may be a lot of people who you know, don't just want awareness anymore. They want acceptance. And, you know, I'm kind of in that same boat right now where I see how society treats individuals with autism. I see how society views people with autism sometimes. And I look at that and go, you know what, like, you know, we may have, we may continue to have awareness to this day, but it may be getting to the point where we need to gain, like the community deserves acceptance from society because, you know, whenever I have, whenever I talk to people, the one thing that an individual with autism that may say to me is, you know, people look at me as a label and I've always told individuals like, Hey, you know, autism may be a label to some people, but we all have labels in life. You know, I have a bunch of them. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a former college basketball player, a Michigan state Spartan. Um, I'm a, I'm a motivational speaker and I have autism and I'm proud to say all those labels, especially that last one. And it's time to show society that, like I said, every single person on that spectrum is unique in their own way. And, 
you know, that's what I'm trying to fight for as well. It's trying to fight for acceptance for our community because I think we're get, kind of getting to the point where the autism community definitely deserves a little bit more respect when it comes to acceptance. And you mentioned earlier the very important topic of bullying. So mm-hmm. can you tell us why are you interested in speaking against it? Um, so obviously, you know, the, the biggest reason was because, you know, when my colleague brought to my attention that um, students with autism in schools were the number one targets of bullies in the United States, that's when I really wanted to go to work because I wanted to show kids that, you know, I was bullied as a kid because of my autism and because of my height. Like I'm I'm 32 years old and I'm six foot nine and I wear a size 18 shoe. Um, but at 11 years old, I was, you know, six feet tall with a size 13 shoe. So I was, I've been a big kid. I was a big kid my whole life. And so, but I wanted to show kids like I was bullied for these reasons. This is how I overcame these bullies. And this is the end result. Like one of my bullies in elementary school actually asked me for an autograph after a Michigan state game one time. Mm-hmm. One of my bullies in sixth grade had to play me in little league basketball had to guard me an entire game and I dropped 20 points on him. And, you know, I didn't hear a word from him after that. And so the message I bring to students is be careful what you send you to others because you never know who that person will be like in the future. And I bring up all these different celebrities to these kids, such as celebrities such as Eminem, Michael Phelps, Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, um, Michael Jordan, uh, Eminem, Justin Timberlake. So whenever I bring some of these names up, the faces that I see on these students, like they're their faces just light up because those are their heroes. Those are their celebrities and icons they look up to. And for them to hear that they were bullied as kids, it really kind of makes them think a little bit. But the last message I always leave to them is don't just go out and be the change, but make that change you wish to see in life. And so, you know, for students to hear that message, for them to hear that it's not about Anthony Ayane being the change, it's about them because they changed somebody's day, they changed somebody's life, and, and at the end of the day, they could be the number one, uh, excuse me, number one reason why they saved somebody's life. It really hits home to a lot of those students, and so that's why I got into it because you don't see a lot of you don't see a lot of motivational speakers out there talking about bullying because some some people think that topic is too sensitive. Some people may think that they may not be able to hit home with a lot of those students. But to me, it's a topic that needs to be talked about. And to me, like I wanted to show a lot of these kids like, hey, like I've been in your shoes before. I know what it's like. And so and I think that's why I'm able to connect with a lot of those students, because some of them have lived those same obstacles and challenges that I've had. Some of those students have maybe been in those same situations that I was in when it came to bullying. And so um, it's a topic that needs to be addressed. And it's a topic that I'm going to continue to, to address for a while. So what discoveries along your journey to writing your book centered surprised you the most? Um, I think it was my, uh, it was my IEP evaluations. Um, Cause I know my author, Rob Keast, uh, my co-author, I should say, he, uh, he brought to me the idea of potentially putting my IEP evaluation. So IEP stands for individualized educational plan. And these were evaluations I haven't seen ever or have ever read, but my mom has like this this big old box and stacks of paperwork in that box. And it was all for my IEP evaluations, all my IEP meetings as a young student. And so um, Rob proposed the idea to me of putting my IEP evaluations in the book. And at first I was very hesitant because there were some things in those evaluations that I'm not proud of seeing or proud of reading because there were a lot of things that I did as a six-year-old that I look back on and go, that I look back on and go, man, like, did I really, did I really say those things? Did I really act out that way? You know, did these evaluators really think that I was mean to my classmates when I really wasn't? Like, so it was hard for me. So I told Rob, I was like, Rob, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm just not comfortable because a lot of these things that are in these evaluations are really personal. And and then he says something I'll never forget. He said, don't do what's best for you, the author. Do what's best for your readers because you're going to have readers who are families and parents and educators and professionals who deal with autism on a daily basis. They're going to read these evaluations and go, wow, like look where Anthony Ianni was at at six years old in kindergarten. Look where, look how he progressed as a sixth grader and look where he ended up today. Like it's about giving those people hope and inspiration that they're looking for. So don't do what's best for you, the author, do what's best for the reader. And so he was like, you could, I'll let you sleep on it. Call me in the morning. Let me know what you think. And we'll go from there. Honestly, I didn't sleep that night because I called him back 20 minutes later after we hung up. And I told him, I said, okay, you're right. Let's do this. And so so just reading those evaluations, it really was kind of like 
like one of those moments where I was like, wow, like, you know, it's crazy to reminisce on those days and just talk about those events. And so, um, but I learned a lot, you know, I definitely learned a lot more about me because I know my mom, you know, she remembers all the little details that I probably wouldn't remember as a two, three-year-old because, you know, my mom and dad have been through so much with me and, you know, but putting those evaluations in there, it was just a one good example of, you know, wanting to give people hope and inspiration. And during your basketball days, why did you want to wear number 42? Uh, so I wanted to wear, um, so initially I wanted to wear number 42 when I was in high school because uh, Mark Kissling was um, was a really great basketball player at Okemos High School when I was a kid. And whenever my mom's volleyball team would go set up for volleyball practice, the varsity basketball team would walk off the court. And I, w- I would always play Mark one-on-one um, in basketball and we just developed a great relationship. Um, but when number 42 wasn't available, all I had was the options were 44 or 45. And so I took 44 because, um, because my dad, he wore 44 in high school and, and I believe it was his, uh, not just his basketball number, but I believe it was his baseball number too. And so I want to choose 44 because my dad wore it and my mom was 22 in college. So you know, for 20, you know, 22 is half of 44. So I was like, okay, well, that's another good reason that to wear 44. And so, so that's why I chose 44 because it was a, a personal connection with my mom and my dad. And, um, so it was a number that I, that I've stuck with, you know, my entire, my entire basketball career, whether it was uh, travel ball, high school, college, um, that was always the number I want to go with. And, you know, my son who, my oldest, who's six, he plays on a travel baseball team. And obviously, uh, he only wanted to play travel baseball unless he unless he can uh, continue to play basketball. So obviously basketball is his number mm-hmm. one sport and he loves it. But um, I, I asked my son what number he wanted to wear in baseball and then eventually in basketball. And he said 44. And, you know, for for me to hear that, like it was I try not to get too emotional talking about it because my for my kid to say that to me, he wanted to wear 44 because I did. Um, but I, I, I immediately thought of my dad and thought about how you know, he was when I chose that number when I was in high school. Well, we've taken up a lot of your time. So can you tell us what are you currently working on and what will be your next project? So right now I'm just doing a lot of traveling all over the United States, traveling to schools, conferences and businesses, talking about my life story. Um, And then right now, uh, Rob Keese and I, we're currently working on our second project. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but it's more of a more of a guideline book and a resource book for uh, uh, individuals with autism who are athletes and as well as their coaches. And so, um, you know, we really believe that our second project is going to be, you know, I, I don't I don't want to sit here and say this, that that centered autism and basketball one athlete stream is an impactful book. It is. I promise it is. But I think, you know, our next project as far as like, you know, being a guidebook and a resource book for individuals with autism and their coaches it, it can really be a big game changer in the autism world. That sounds super exciting. I hope you come and talk to us about it once it's out. <laughs> I would definitely love to do that for sure. And where can our listeners find more information about you and your work and also your book? So they can go to my website, which is anthonyiani.com. Um, my, uh, so everything about me is on that website um, as far as the details about my book. Um, if there's anybody interested in bringing me into their school, conference, or business to speak, um, that's also available on my website as well. And if anybody wants to follow me on my social media accounts, I'm on Twitter at AI44LYD and on Instagram at AIGameChanger44. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and speaking so openly about your story. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great.